been another exciting week, and we are now we're now ready for episode ten of Precious Snowflakes, the podcast. I'm Lelius Rose, and I'm Ben Phelps, and we have another exciting edition. We promised last week that we would talk about Southern Confederate statues. Yay! And also, uh, so for our first topic, we'll be talking about the takedown of New Orleans Confederate statues. Mm -hmm. And for our second topic, we'll be discussing uh, two seemingly uh, disparate, but in fact very related, I think, issues. Uh, The body slamming of a Guardian reporter by Greg Gianforte? Gianforte. Gianforte. Is that Italian? I don't think they have Italians in Montana. Okay. Um, And sorry, Montana and Italy. Uh, (laughs) And uh, the punching of Richard Spencer slash the un-gym membershipping of Richard Spencer. so let's and those really are related i promise uh so let's start with the confederate statue thing do you i have mixed feelings about it like i was like i was just telling you a few minutes ago i, I mean, have very strong unmixed feelings about it i mean to me like historical monuments is the longer they've been there the 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 less i'm inclined to to remove them just because of their history but at the same time I mean, I, I think there is, you know, it is relevant to look at them in, in, con, in the context that they were, where they were put up, essentially to remind everyone in black, white, whatever, in New Orleans, who was, you know, still running that city, who still had the political influence, which was the, you know, people who had been running the Confederacy and who believed in, uh, in the inferiority of, of black people and, the, and white supremacy. That was... And that those monuments were put up of, as a reminder of that, right? So, do you want to sum up the Mitch Landrew argument that some people will already be familiar with? Because well, that I know that you have some strong sympathy for that. I was going to let Mitch speak for himself, but then I, I pushed the wrong button. Uh, you, you can edit this out later. Can we do that? Yes, can we have yeah. Mitch Landrew speak for himself and have that not be a uh, fair use? I'm just going to say fair that. use. Well, we were talking about the news. I'm pretty sure a speech that he gave in public is fair game. I say, so we're going to, we are going to play for you in some context or another, Mitch Landrew's speech there we go. that he delivered, and I will try not to interrupt and, him. And for those of you who don't know, Mitch Landrew is the, the Democratic uh, mayor of New Orleans. And the brother of Mary Landrew, who was the Democratic senator from Louisiana, famous for being basically a hard right conservative while still being a Democrat. Right. Anyway, here we go. So today I want to speak about why we chose to remove these four monuments to the lost cause of the Confederacy, but also how and why this process can move us towards healing and understanding each other. It is self-evident that these men did not fight for the United States of America. They fought against it. They may have been warriors, but in this cause, they were not patriots. These statues are not just stone and metal. They're not just innocent remembrances of a benign history. These monuments celebrate a fictional sanitized confederacy, ignoring the death, ignoring the enslavement, ignoring the terror that it actually stood for. 
And after the Civil War, these monuments were part of that terrorism, as much as burning a cross on someone's lawn. They were erected purposefully to send a strong message to all who walked in the shadows about who was still in charge in this city. Another friend asked me to consider these four monuments from the perspective of an African-American mother or father trying to explain to their fifth-grade daughter why Robert E. Lee sat atop of our city. Can you do it? Can you do it? Can you look into the eyes of this young girl and convince her that Robert E. Lee is there to encourage her? Do you think that she feels inspired and hopeful by that story? Do these monuments help her see her future with limitless potential? Have you ever thought, have you ever thought that if her potential is limited, yours and my potential, my limited potential as well? We all know the answers to these very simple questions. When you look into this child's eyes is the moment when the searing truth comes into focus. This is the moment when we know what we must do, when we know what is right. So I want to jump in here with something. I want to start, preface my own opinion with this sort of thing that I related to Lel pre-record. Um, in, in Rome, there is a triumphal arch in, you know, in the city of Rome uh, on which you can see a depiction of Roman soldiers carrying a menorah. Uh, people might look at that and wonder why. People who know things will know what that's about. Titus Flavius Vespasianus the Younger, uh, son of then-Emperor Titus Flavius Vespasianus, was sent to the kingdom of Judea, the sovereign state of the Jewish people, to wipe them out. They destroyed that country. They scattered all of the Jews therein, across the Roman Empire. They sacked the temple, the central holy site of Judaism. They destroyed it. It has never been rebuilt. Not since then. They destroyed it, and they took everything inside it, including the menorah, the, whole, the eternal light that God commanded should never be put out. They took it back to Rome as a, as a prize. All, it is a symbol of the, the ancient and modern persecution of the Jews. And it is a symbol of the diaspora, of the galut, of the exile that the Jewish people were put into for thousands of years. Now, if you're in Rome with a Jewish child, and the Jewish child asks, why are those Romans holding menorah? What do you say to them? You know, rhetorical question, as Mitchell Andrews' question was equally rhetorical. I don't think we should take that triumphal arch down. I don't. I think it's important that we see the good and the bad in history, that we provide context. I would rather see a plaque there explaining in a couple of languages what that arch means than ever see it taken down. I want someone to put a plaque there that says 
This commemorates the destruction of the Jewish homeland at the hands of the Romans and the 2,000-year exile of the Jewish people. That's what that arch is about. I don't know if such a plaque exists. Maybe it does, maybe it doesn't. But whether it does or not, I think it's vitally important that we keep things like those arches there. And that is how I feel about these Confederate statues. There's so much history there. There's so much context. And I do know what I would say to that African-American fifth grader. I know exactly what I would say. I would say, this is a man who thought he was fighting for the side of right. But part of what he was fighting for was the enslavement of your people. Do not be inspired by him, by his courage. Be inspired despite of him. You don't need to feel like he's looking down benevolently. No one should. You should look up at him and say, I'm going to succeed in ways you never thought possible for someone in my situation. I am going to do things you could never have believed. And you're just going to have to stand there and watch, you piece of rock. And what, how would you explain why there's a monument to him, even though he was on that losing side? Usually, usually the losing side doesn't get victorious monuments. I would say, I mean, I also, you know, I have been a teacher. I have taught, uh, I've taught history, history mm -hmm. of Judaism, history of reform Judaism. I've taught all sorts of things, mostly in the context of informal education in educational programs within youth groups and camps. And I simply do not believe in lying to children. Right. If something is complicated, I don't believe in lying for the sake of simplicity. So I know I know what I would say. Robert E. Lee was a like Robert E. Lee was a complicated man. To Southerners, he was a hero because that the Civil War was the turning point in our society. When patriotism stopped meaning patriotism to your state and became patriotic feelings towards the federal government. That's a really important turning point in the history of America. So people who lost in the Civil War, they still believed in patriotism towards their state. There was a period after the Civil War during which uh, the pro-abolition progressive Republican government, because that's what the Republicans were then, during which they controlled the South while they, you know, reorganized it. Well, it was a military occupation. Right. And afterwards, during Reconstruction, after they had become states, the Republicans still controlled and were still, you know, party of abolition. Well, because former Confederates weren't allowed, where they were barred from running for office expressly by the right. Constitution, the 14th Amendment, right? Yep. So, uh, so what I would... I would describe that, and then I would say, but when that, when the next generation came, the children of Confederate soldiers, they decided that they wanted to go back to the way things were before that war. And they couldn't. They couldn't go back to it explicitly. They could not go back to slavery. They could not go back to the kind of states' rights that they had had before the war. But what they could do was pretend. And they could put up intimidating, scary statues 
to remind the African-Americans who now had freedom, you didn't always have freedom. We don't think you should have freedom. This is someone who symbolically means that to us. I like, and, and you realize there's a lot of people today who would still like those statues to remind them of those same things. And, and a, lot, a lot of the opposition to removing the statues hasn't been from well-reasoned, measured arguments like yourself. But people who do support that lost cause, who really are, you know, who really are, you know, consider themselves supporters of the well, Confederacy, who still want them up there as a reminder. It is. What they would refer to, euphemistically refer to as states' rights. I should note uh, that it is a little rich coming from Mitch Landrieu. Because the Landrieu family is really steeped in the old Louisiana Democratic Party, mm-hmm. aka like the old Louisiana Democratic Party, which is for segregation. Uh, so it's a little rich coming from Mitch Landrieu uh, talking about the evil of these people. When well, I think Mitch mm, Landrieu is 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 doing what he thinks is best to represent the people that he represents, which is a yeah. very which is a heavily Democratic, pretty liberal, heavily very diverse, heavily black city. Yeah, and he's he's doing their their bidding, which is what he really ought to do as an elected representative, to a certain extent. To <laughs> a certain extent, I just don't believe in erasing history or whitewashing history. Mm-hmm. If I were Mitch Landrew, I would have made this more of a teachable moment. I would have made like I would have erected signs around the statue describing the way things are now versus the way things were then i would have i would start putting up more statues in it's, more places it's interesting because they actually tried that that the the first monument they removed was the the battle of liberty place monument which is essentially a monument to the wrong side <laughs> to the uh to uh, basically it's it's like uh, if you put up a like 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 a like a memorial to a riot, but you honored the rioters instead of the the police who tried to defend the city and keep it from getting burned down. And that one was like a was like an obelisk with a plaque, and they revised the plaque at one point, but it kept getting vandalized by you know by by pro Confederate people and other you know they and it, they just decided that was that was the least conspicuous and the the easiest one you know well, to, that, to take down. That almost feels like then that that was a pick-up-your-ball-and-go-home moment. Mm-hmm. That they were like, fine, if you're going to keep vandalizing our historical plaques, <laughs> then we'll just take her statue and go home. Uh, ow, I... There is never going to be a context in which you can have statues to these sorts of things that won't be venerated by racists. And that won't be, and any time you well, put well, because a, it was put up by racists, well, and if as you, a monument to racism, <laughs> that's that that's that's the argument for taking it down. I, I mean, like I said, so is so is Titus's triumphal arch, uh-huh. and yet there's well, a reason and, and then that I'll, Italy I'll, hasn't taken it. And then I'll bring up I'll bring up the super obvious cheap shot example. It's like what do you think what would you think of a monument to, to Hitler in Germany? I know it's a very cheap shot, but it's it, it's worth asking. Contextual. It would have to be contextual. Okay, okay. I well, mean, what what if it was an I mean, what if it was, you know, dated back to the 30s and had been there and no one ever bothered to take it down? I mean, obviously everything 
all the Nazi now. era, you know, st- you know, monuments to Hitler have been taken down. There's, there's, I mean, there's it, well, Germany, it, it, the Third Reich. It mainly still exists in in certain architecture, like the Olympic Arena and and stuff like that. That's sort of been. I mean, it's it's just a building, right? It's been, so. So part of it is a question of distance versus presentness of feeling. Well, yeah, that, and, I mean, that for me. Like I'm, I'm just going to acknowledge well, in your, here. In, in your example of the Arch of Titus, I mean, this thing is like darn near two thousand years old. Yeah. And it, and the and it and it's and the and it's not in Jerusalem, but in Rome. <laughs> the you know, and it's well, most of the people who live there are the Romans, the people who were not on the losing end of that. I mean, I'm sure there are Jews who live in Rome who see that and go like, Ugh, but I mean, it's still there are there's Romans a big difference between Jewish community. There's a big difference between 130 years and like 2,000 years. Well, and there's a difference between 130 years and 70 years. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was just going to say, like, I acknowledge that for me, that's an incredibly distant point. Whereas for someone who lives in New Orleans, it can feel very present. I mean, you're, I'm sure you're still right a, a, upset about the destruction of the Second Temple. Deeply. <laughs> um, I mean, it's not to- it's not that funny, but I mean, it is, you know. You have been bitching about this for 2,000 years, okay? They, you know. It's true. We have. <laughs> I mean, that's the... Every, there's... I shit you not. There's a group of people in Jerusalem who want to uh, demolish the Dome of the Rock and the Al-Aqsa Mosque, yeah, which that... are on the location that the temple was on, and build a third temple. Is that part of the, the second temple? Is was. that part of the one or the two state solution? I forget. Yeah. There's a part of the no state solution. Yeah. That's the no state solution. <laughs> that's the, we're hoping the apocalypse is about to come solution. Um, although there are others, there are others who, again, I shit you not, believe that when the Messiah finally comes, the third temple will just appear, like drop out of the sky and crush the Dome of the Rock. Without even like an environmental impact study or anything like that? It'll just arrive. Wow, okay. That's like they do it in China, basically, the buildings. It is is interesting. They're just going to hire a Chinese construction firm and it'll be like, boom. It is interesting to think that the Won't be very good construction. The holiest place for Judaism is the Holy of Holies, the Kadosh HaKadoshim, mm-hmm. which is in the middle of the Temple Mount, right? That's right. where the Dome of the Rock is. Right. The Dome of the Rock was, some would say, intentionally built. Others would say, no, built there for other reasons. But some would say intentionally built where the Jewish Holy of Holies was. Well, when Muhammad went there that night on his night journey, right? When he leapt up onto the mountaintop, yeah, or I thought it was, or was it a magic camel? carpet or something or other? I don't know. I believe but... it was. It was either a horse or a camel that, <laughs> okay, that anyway. leapt up onto the mountaintop. Muhammad, you know, obviously was able to travel at supersonic speed. Whatever. I would like to apologize to our Muslim listeners. Uh... <laughs> I'm not. Am I? Am I veering off the Quran? I mean, am I, I'm just. I'm. I'm being pretty straightforward. I mean, isn't that pretty much how it goes? Or mm. I mean, the magic carpet. Okay, no, but let's. <laughs> Let's be clear here. Lel has equal disdain for all faiths. <laughs> it's not personal Islam. Lel has equal disdain. Well, don't get for me started on Christianity religion. with their talking snake and all that kind of shit. I don't know. Hey, the talking snake was ours first. Right, right, right. Yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, anyway, I just part of what I fear about the getting rid of these statues. I said this before as well. Is 
the slippery slope effect because it is i would say not in dispute that ulysses simpson grant as commander of union forces and generals sherman and sheridan under him were war criminals in what they did to parts of the south sheridan burned the shenandoah valley to the ground and salted the fields sherman had his march to the sea through georgia and grant oversaw and ordered those campaigns what people don't talk about nearly enough is that the those three men specifically were also the ones responsible for the american policy of total war against the native americans shortly thereafter grant as president of the united states sherman as commander of the u.s armed forces sheridan as the general in charge of pacifying in big fat air quotes the native americans they they committed war crimes and against the native americans they committed genocide you know at what point do we start pulling down statues of them at what point do we start you know removing their images from public places because how how are they different you know robert e lee represents to uh african americans i would imagine basically the same thing that grant represents to native americans you know a symbol of oppression a symbol of you know aggression and violence and the tamping down of human rights i think it all comes down to who's in charge right now you know there's still i mean if it makes you feel any better there's still plenty of those monuments left in other that's true cities. but i i don't think you go to richmond virginia you'll see another a gigantic statue of robert e lee on his horse that's actually more geographically appropriate mm -hmm. uh because he was a virginian first yeah, and a confederate I mean. second mm -hmm. um i just don't think it's ever appropriate to erase history and you know louisiana still has a jefferson davis parish well there you go and, um, and there's a and there's even a local bank but for years and years was known as jefferson davis bank but i've noticed lately they've just rebranded to jd bank yeah <clears throat> i mean maybe are they white i guess they're whitewashing their corporate history but <laughs> right it's you know there are tough calls therein. Uh, I think a lot of it is based on the context of the specific things. But when it comes to sort of omnipresent conservative monuments in a city like New Orleans, you can't erase the fact that New Orleans was a major hub of slavery, of the Confederacy, uh, that New Orleans, you know, was not their capital but was in a lot of ways one of their cultural centers mm -hmm. and well, it was a, a cornerstone to their economy i mean losing new uh -huh. orleans was the beginning of the end it you know it was the beginning of getting having the whole mississippi choked off right so which... i feel like to me uh getting rid of getting rid of confederate monuments in new orleans would be like getting rid of the uh the pueblo old town in los angeles you know what I'm talking about? Oh, yeah. Olvera Street. and the, the Yeah. Like, it's the same thing. The same way that that Los Angeles was peacefully, question mark, uh, <laughs> depending on who you ask. Well, you still got, I, I mean, I, I don't the think Mexicans. they have any plans to take down Andy Jackson. So you can, you can. <laughs> right, like, 
This who's still, who still will 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 sit atop Jackson Square as for as far as no for, until further notice. No, no country, no no geographic location in the world is free of a history of violence. Everywhere, there is history of violence, of oppression, of lack of human rights, of conquest and colonization. Mm-hmm. It's not just in the third world no. or in the United States. No, seriously. If, if, if the Confederacy had, been, had, had won, no one would be talking about taking these down. The reason people want to take them down is because they lost. And because we want they, we want to forget about that, it's it's kind of a weird thing that we have these monuments to the to the losing side, and people are just bothered by that. They think, well, they lost. Well, they we, they shouldn't get monuments. You know, that's everyone, one of the things I, I see a lot of people talking about online. It's like, no, you don't. This is not a everyone gets a trophy kind of situation. But, ev- but everyone loses eventually. Mm-hmm. You know, Rome right. lost eventually. They why do we celebrate Rome? They got sacked by their own mercenaries. Yeah, I guess they're over it. <laughs> like why why do we care about you know hadrian's wall in britain why do we preserve that when that was a border for a country that eventually got that well, eventually you know fled i just mentioned you know andrew jackson is sticking around in new orleans you know why he gets to stay right he was president well because you know who he beat right he was he was on the american side and he beat the british that's that's why that's where they put up the statue of him is to, to commemorate the, the Battle of New Orleans. Even though the war was technically over, they still appreciated being liberated. Well, and we, we have things... Like, we have things that commemorate the pre-United States. Like, we still have things that commemorate Britain. No! In a lot. some A ways. lot of it was taken down and then, like, like the Boston Old State House... Is a good example where they, you know, they took down the, the was it the unicorn and the uh, mm. whatever that the symbol of the uh, of the British monarchy, off the the crest uh, of the, the lion of the cr- and the unicorn. Yeah, the lion and the unicorn off the old state house, and they and they and they and they only put it back up like you know many many decades later, when well, that, they, after, when it, when it became the old state house and became a, a historical monument instead of a U.S. government building or, or a state government building. How I. The world I want is a world where history is laid bare, where it's honest and naked, and we can see the history of a place in its streets, in its monuments, in its buildings, and where we can know the context and judge for ourselves. Well, and it's interesting. On places that were on the losing side of a war, you don't see nearly as much. I mean, you go to Berlin, you don't see a whole lot of, you know like monuments no. to world war ii there's uh, there's the bombed out church right that's, Part of that was it. left as a as a reminder but it's usually the places that are i mean you'll go to you go to to france you know you see napoleon's arch you can tell who won well part <laughs> of it is part of it is that um you know the winners love to swing their dicks around right and try to erase whoever they beat well napoleon's arch was you know modeled after the arch the of Roman titus arches, yeah. right um I mean, there's there's a lot of places where history has been erased and I don't like the thing with the the thing with the Nazis uh, <laughs> which thing there was a thing with the Nazis did they do something the thing bad? with the Nazis the thing with Nazi monuments in 
I find it to be very interesting. This is going to sound like a side note, but I promise it comes back around. Mm-hmm. I find it really interesting that the two countries where the movie Inglorious Bastards did the best, you know, where they got the best reviews, got the right. most money, whatever. The two countries where they were most, where that movie was most successful were Israel and Germany. And I think that says a lot for people in Germany. They may have gotten rid of the monuments, but the history of the third Reich is ever present. Mm -hmm. It is, it is deeply ingrained in the cultural subconscious of Germany. And for them watching spoiler alert, watching Hitler's face get torn apart by machine gun fire was incredibly cathartic. For many Germans, at least. Probably not for all of them. For many Germans, that was a really cathartic moment. It was a moment of release. Where they're like, oh, for at least this moment, I can let go of my inherited guilt about World War II and the Holocaust. Um, so you can, you can get rid of the statues and the monuments. It's still present. There's still... Of preservation in people's minds. What I worry about is... There are, on, there are places on Facebook where it isn't. What I worry about is... What does happen when we reach a point? And we're obviously not there yet. Mm-hmm. I doubt we'll be there for a long time. But what happens when we do reach a point... Where the German people... Don't feel that anymore? Where where they're, where they can fully release? Where they feel about as guilty as they do about... You know, Julius Caesar? Right. And at that point... With no monuments to remind their children what happened. With no public displays of this is what our country did. If it is forgotten, could it then happen again? You know, I think it's part of why it's important that we preserve Confederate statues. One of the problems here is that we have come to a point of seeing the civil war in a very black and white way. And we don't see like, if you're, uh, if you're a progressive, the civil war was about racism. If you're a conservative, the civil war was about states rights. The reality from a historical perspective is that it was about both to differing degrees to different people. And, but in all fairness, I mean, these, these statues are not going to be melted down and destroyed. They're going to be put in a museum somewhere. And and I think and, and, and Landrew's point wasn't that they should, you know, not exist, but they shouldn't literally be up on a pedestal celebrating these men who were basically traitors to the United States, who fought against the United States, who in this context are not patriots and therefore shouldn't be venerated as as heroes in our in our public space. It's hard. I mean, the other thing is, from the U.S. patriotic whatever perspective, they were heroes of the Mexican-American War. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, that's true. I guess it's, They I guess all it's, were. I guess it's the most recent thing on your resume that people... Yeah, like PGT Beauregard, especially. And Robert E. Lee. Yeah, they were They were yeah. considered, you know, good uh, good officers up until the whole that little secession thing. Yeah, the, the Confederate generals were almost all of them the cream of the crop of Mexican-American war commanders. They had impeccable resumes up right up until they uh, took up arms against the United States government. Right up until the point where they had to choose between state and federal. Mm-hmm. For some of them, it was a choice between slavery and not slavery. Right. 
Mostly, I would argue that it was the politicians of the Confederacy who saw it as a fight for or against slavery. Well, they saw Lincoln's election being the writing on the wall that, you know, that slavery was pretty much done, <laughs> that they had that the Republicans had the votes in, in, in D.C. in order to get rid of it. And it was it was going well, to be sooner rather than later. And one of the things there weren't going to be any more compromises. I will say this. I very rarely compliment uh, my own education in public schools here. But I will say that I think the Civil War was presented in a very nuanced and clever way. And one of the pieces of that uh, was that they talked about the negotiations that were ongoing throughout the war between the Confederacy and Great Britain. And one of the things that was on the table, you know, right up until the end, the Confederates were still trying to negotiate an alliance with Great Britain because they felt like the Confederacy and Great Britain shared more culturally mm -hmm. than the North did with Great Britain uh, or than the South and the North did with each other. One of the things that was on the table was abolition of slavery because Britain had abolished slavery way earlier and they were vehemently against. And a lot of Confederate leaders, political and military, were ready were ready to give it up. They were ready to say, like, fine, you bail us out, you bring in the navy, and you know, you bring in your armies, and you you keep us as a separate sovereign nation, and we will abolish slavery immediately. And there are a number of contexts in which they they did try to on the ground uh, where they would free slaves in order to encourage them to fight for the Confederacy, which feels ludicrous. Well, what's the point in seceding if, if you're, if you're giving up the whole slavery thing, what, because, what, what do you have to gain if, if we're, if we're putting the kibosh on slavery, but we're, but we're still going to be a different country sovereignty. Okay. But to, I mean, what's the whole, what, what's, what, what's the advantage? What's the thing that you're seceding over? The thing they were seceding over was sovereignty. Cause it was not just a question of, slavery itself it was a question of does the federal government have the authority to regulate and or abolish slavery mm -hmm. and the republican party having just been founded was of the opinion that yes the federal government does have the authority to abolish slavery because freedom and self-ownership are fundamental human rights and therefore constitutional rights and therefore something that the federal government can involve itself in mm -hmm. I happen to agree. Uh, <laughs> uh, and the the fu then future Confederate states and the Democratic Party at the time uh, were of the opinion that because the legality of slavery was not explicitly in the Constitution, that it was not up to the federal government to decide and therefore should be a state's issue. I mean, this is like... You know, you look back at decades and decades of laws in Congress. There are so many that have to do with slavery that all hinge on that question. It's not a question of whether or not slavery is wrong. It's a question of whether or not the federal government has a role in slavery. And the Republican Party was made up of people who said, yes, the federal government does have a role in slavery. We'd like to abolish it. 
and preferably send all the former slaves back to Africa. Um, Cause that's how Liberia got founded. Look it up people. Um, and it was the Southern Democrats. Well, I, I guess, I guess they, they didn't assume that all the former slave owners were going to suddenly offer them paying jobs. Well, what they, they would have to do something, right? I a mean, lot of the, the base of the Republican party was Northern, uh, Northern workers and middle class mm-hmm. who didn't want to compete with what they saw as unfair free labor. You know, if you really like, when you look at the abolitionists, almost all of them had what we would consider today to be a really fucked up perspective on slavery. Uh, they either wanted to, they either thought that slavery was unfair because it undercut white wages or they thought that it was a sin on the hearts of man, which is why, in the case of Garrison, they believe that some of them believe that the North should secede from the South. Hmm. Really, the if you want to, the only major abolitionist who really put the lives of African Americans front and center was Frederick Douglass. Well, that's understandable why he would feel that way. Yeah, but like, like really, I think it's important to recognize that the African-American abolitionists were the only ones who really unreservedly cared about the quality of life well, of I'm sure there were, I'm sure there were a few, but, you know. Yeah, his, but his it was really like, like Garrison was the fire and brimstone preacher. Right, right. You know, he was, of all the white abolitionists, he was one of the best and the strongest, but he also advocated for northern secession from the south. I hope our listeners are really up on their history and know who all these people are. <laughs> uh, if 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 you're if you're not really sure who Ben is talking about, just go um and watch about eight hours of Ken Burns Civil War, and it'll bring you yeah. up to speed. Yeah. Um, there's a historian named Richard Hofstadter. If anyone is interested, look up Richard Hofstadter. He wrote an excellent book about American leaders. He wrote this in the '40s. Excellent book about American political leaders, including William Jennings Bryan, who he hated, Mm -hmm. uh, Garrison, who he respected. He hated Lincoln. He hated Lincoln because he accused this particular historian in the 1940s. He accused Lincoln of being principally an opportunist who, rather than personally caring very deeply about slavery, Mm -hmm. had jumped on board (laughs) in the interest of getting elected. And he would argue that that Lincoln didn't really start to care about slavery itself until Frederick Douglass convinced him to, well, uh, which is Douglas. interesting. And that's not that's not confirmable because obviously we can't go back in time and really get into Lincoln's brain about what he believed in his heart and soul. Who was the 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 guy the abolitionist guy who led the insurrection? Uh, John Brown. Yeah, John Brown. That's he was, a, he was hardcore. Okay. Yeah, that guy's hardcore. There should be more John Brown statues. Um, that I firmly believe. I mean, he got hanged for, for his thing, didn't he? Oh yeah. He tried to leave a slave revolt. I mean, he was a true believer. He and his, he brought his family, uh, and they all got killed. Yeah. There should be more John Brown statues Mm -hmm. there. I, you know what I would, what I would say? I think for every statue of a Confederate leader in the South, they should build a John Brown statue that is slightly taller. <laughs> John Brown was not a really tall man either. If I no, they should just they should just make a John Brown statue that is slightly mm. higher, staring down at the Confederate statue with a look in his face like "What?" I just did an arm motion. Right. right. Uh, 
Yeah, I, I like I said, I can see it both ways. I mean, I, I, I can't really. It's hard for me to really say one way or the other. You know that it, they either they should or shouldn't exist. You know, I, 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 I hate to you know you know cop out and be wishy washy on it, but I, I, I can't. If I were especially an African American in New Orleans, I, I, I can't look someone in the eye and say, well, I, 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 I get why you don't like it, why you, why you think they never should have been put up in the first place, and why, and why, you know, that's a wrong that needs to be righted. Well, you know yeah. what they should really put up because they weren't they weren't exactly put up during the Civil. They were put up, you yeah, know, they were like put up decades later in the well, like the eighteen eighties, right? The or, generation after Reconstruction. Mm-hmm, yeah. Uh, I mean, if they really want to get serious about their history, they should. I mean, I don't know what they have or don't have. I haven't been to New Orleans, uh, but they should. They should have a uh, a replica of the slave market. Mm-hmm. I, there's like a little plaque through. where the slave market was. It's they not very just, conspicuous. They should just rebuild it. Mm-hmm. They should rebuild it. And there's a, there's a glorious look. monument to Andrew Jackson though, right in front of the. I'm uh, just saying, Cabildo. One of the things that Germany, Poland, etc. do have is they have the concentration camps, and you oh can, yeah for sure, and you walk through them. You can you go can to see you can happens. go to Auschwitz Birkenau like right now. It's a big tourist attraction. Right. So you know what? They should rebuild the. I've sl- always wanted to go. If you are you, would you like to go? I've always heard that Auschwitz is lovely this time of year. I think there's a McDonald's on site now. On site, that'd be a little tacky. Yeah, it came. There was some controversy about it. Um... I mean, it's always. It would be really weird if it if they were like themed. I, the, you know, it's all. There's always a question of like, a McDonald's. What should the food be like at a Holocaust place? Um, <laughs> I've like, only I've only been to a couple of concentration camps. I haven't been to that one. I've been to Theresienstadt. I haven't in, been in to the, in the Czech Republic, which is which is interesting because it's like two. It's built on the site of a former uh, like uh, 18th century fort. Hmm. And uh, it's like a walled city, but there's like two there's like two different forts, and it's it's a it's it's a really incredibly depressing place. I have to tell you, I believe it. <laughs> it's a godforsaken place. Um, so I have been to Yad Vashem, which is the Israeli Holocaust Memorial Museum in Jerusalem, uh, and a really fascinating place. Trump just went. Uh, he said it was great. He said it was so great. Um. It's actually what he said. Wow. Um, yeah, that's the place where they have the um, the Auschwitz album. Actually, the the photographs that were taken by the the Nazi uh, uh, officer, and I, I, I don't know how anyone could look at that. And, and I mean, it's so clear. I mean, unless you think they're they're fake, which I think is kind of ridiculous. I mean, they're. <laughs> I think it's really important to note that Eisenhower. I think it's fair to say is one of the least controversial political figures in American history least of modern american history the fact that eisenhower insisted on bringing cameras into concentration camps mm-hmm. and he predicted he said there are going to be people who will deny that this happened that's why i need it to all be video recorded right now um that should be a pretty good piece of evidence that it really happened but uh some people are really well, incredulous. It, the uh, stuff you read on the internet compared to historical stuff from the mainstream media, you know. The same kind of people, I think, who are inclined to believe that the earth is flat. But, you know, I, I guess when you, when, you're, when you grow up in another country, like somewhere like, I don't know, Iran, where maybe you don't have quite the same uh, 
version of uh, of history of events right but yeah there's i think there's there's quite a lot of overwhelming documentary evidence that the the holocaust involved murder on a, a massive massive industrialized scale and uh, Thanks, there IBM. are people still alive to this day who survived it and it's it's hard to imagine how anyone could like look those people in the eye and say oh this is you know just it was blown out of proportion hmm. uh that's I mean, there are people who still bear the the tattoos <laughs> from constant. They're they're getting. They're, I mean, there's not as many of them anymore as there used to be, but they they're still around. And there's plenty of document, you know, videotaped, you know, interviews with these people. And I mean, at both at the time and you know, in the in the decades. I mean, there's plenty of Germans who were there too, who were you know complicit, who you know have, have, have spoken about it. This is probably a good a good transition question mark mm -hmm. into our other topic the punching slash degimining oh, although need, I, before that i need to do the the pissing if you'll hold on for just a moment uh, well i did have one other thing to say the Could, pun the punchline of my yad vashem comment mm -hmm. is that they have a really excellent food court i bet they do is there a mcdonald's there is not but they have wonderful sandwiches very expensive mm -hmm. yad vashem very expensive can i get a yad vashake in the no no, but I remember sitting there and eating my like delightful mozzarella panini, and <laughs> and thinking to myself, this feels wrong somehow. Like I don't expect them to not have food, but it's weird that they have really good, incredibly expensive food at Yad Vashem. I can tell you the food in Theresienstadt was decidedly mediocre. That feels more appropriate. <laughs> It's the water that makes it good. It's the water, it's understood. You'll enjoy Olympia, sparkling cool and clear. You'll enjoy Olympia, it's the most refreshing beer. One of the few places in all the world where nature provides perfect brewing water is Olympia, Washington, where the Olympia Brewing Company is located. This remarkable water flowing cold and clear from artesian wells has the precise character necessary to bring out the elusive flavors of the choice hops and grains. Yes, it's the water that's responsible for the consistent, light, sparkling flavor you enjoy in Olympia beer. You'll enjoy Olympia, sparkling, cool, and clear. For refreshing satisfaction, always say Olympia beer. Visitors are always welcome at the Olympia Brewing Company, Olympia, Washington. So... The second topic of the day is uh, the now presumed winner of the Montana at-large congressional race, Greg Gianforte, and his body slam of a reporter from The Guardian, and also Richard Spencer both getting punched in the face multiple times during public appearances and also getting kicked out of his gym. Uh so I guess the news, the clip version of the story is that Gianforte was meeting with a handful of reporters from Fox, of all places, and this guy from The Guardian entered, uh, asked Gianforte questions that he didn't like, <laughs> that he didn't want to answer. Well, he asked him what he thought of the CBO score. Yeah, he asked him about the CBO score for the American <laughs> Healthcare Act. And Gianforte grabbed him by the neck and threw him onto the ground. Uh, 
accounts differ on exactly what went down, but in this context, I feel pretty inclined to trust the Fox News reporters who were there, who are backing up the story given by the reporter from The Guardian, that this was, in fact, unprovoked. Well, they were, apparently, they were, like, in stunned disbelief. They were, like, standing there in yeah, stunned they just with their jaws. They, they were, you know, they were just... You know, they were just like, oh, okay, well, it's kind of late at night, right? They were just going to ask him a question. Then the, he said, the guy's in the middle of, oh, go talk to Shane. And then, like, half a second later, he's going all MMA on the guy, you know, flinging him to the ground <laughs> and telling yeah. him to get out, out of the room. So this, I mean, he, we can pretty much say at this point, has won the election. Oh, yeah, it's been, he's just dead. It's been called. And, and it sounds like he was, I mean, based on the margin, you know, he was probably going to win in any realistic scenario. You know, yeah. but, but Trump won the state by 20 points. So, I mean, every, what everyone's been saying is that, you know, he should be, he should have been walking away with this. It shouldn't have, no one should have even been worried about this race. And yet we've got this guy who's like a country singer with no political experience, you know. Well, and yet Steve coming, Bullock. Actually coming close. Steve Bullock got reelected as governor. Mm -hmm. So this will be the fourth fourth term in a row uh at least of democratic governors um well and this guy gianforte um is was on the losing side of the governor's race just uh you know back in november huh so uh montana's a funny state they they're one of those states that tends to go blue on things that are not presidential elections mm -hmm. or they at least tend to be toss-ups uh they've got a lot of sort of middle-of-the-road, gun-toting centrist Democrats who will get elected to things like Senate and House and passed although and I, governor. Although I'm not sure this guy is really going to last. I mean, even Kelly McEnany was calling on him to resign. I mean, it sounds like just one headache that Paul Ryan... I mean, some people suggest that maybe Paul Ryan shouldn't seat them in Congress, but I think there are... If, especially if he gets you know convicted, there's going to be a lot of pressure on him from people uh, in his own party to resign and give it up to someone else and let them let them choose someone who's not going to you know bring their party well, a lot of controversy procedurally it reminds me of the dead guy who beat john ashcroft <laughs> oh mel many Carnahan. many mel years ago yeah mel carnahan yeah right who died during the race but and it was too like, late to change the name on the ballot yeah we're done with john a well he was a former governor of missouri right and he was yeah. running to, to unseat and successfully unseated john ashcraft despite the fact that he had died a couple weeks before and right so the so basically <laughs> and the, then he, john ashcroft gets appointed attorney general the the so. democratic party of the state and the state government itself sort of coordinated between between the two who would actually fill that seat mm -hmm. um and I imagine that something similar is going to happen here where he's going to be asked to, you know, step down. And because the Republicans won, they are going to be allowed to nominate someone who will then have to be confirmed probably by the state legislature. And they'll they'll find a compromise. Um, but but that this is a very clear cut case where was it appropriate for Gianforte to take out this reporter working for a foreign I, newspaper. Can't, can't we all agree that just like, you know, attacking someone who's who's just like standing there holding a, a tape recorder is, is not a cool thing to do in a civilized society? That body slamming people is generally considered not okay? So, so my follow-up... Even, even in Montana, I'm pretty sure that's considered assault. And he has been charged right, with assault. Right, he's been charged with assault. Because it's really assault. 
but in front of several witnesses. But what are the cops going to do? I mean, not charge him? (laughs) My question is, how similar or different is this as a case from the now multiple times that Richard Spencer has been punched in the face mid-interview? Well, of course, Richard Spencer is not an elected official. He's essentially a... No, but he's... he's He's a political activist. Right, but he's a citizen. He's a citizen just like the... Like, he's a person who's here, just like the reporter from The Guardian. Do you want to explain who Richard Spencer is, for those who don't know? Richard Spencer is a literal neo-Nazi. He would not describe himself that way. He would describe himself as a nationalist. He's he's the (laughs) one who famously uh, led a group of people... Uh, in, the, in the Hitler salute. <laughs> in doing a Heil Trump salute. Which he claimed it was sort of like an alt-right, you know, kind of satire, sort of Pepe the Frog type of thing. Whatever. <laughs> in in the social hall of a Maggiano's. Maggiano's has since responded. Yes, in, a, in a DC Maggiano's. And Mag- now he's been banished from Maggiano's. Yeah, Maggiano's does not want any. <laughs> they do not want any more, you know, like Zeke Heil in the... Uh, <laughs> Hail Trump in the in the in their in their banquet room. Well, if they <laughs> wanted to be appropriate, it would have been something Mussolini. Yeah, so I mean, I mean, I mean, I mean, it kind of sucks to be. You can't go to Maggiano's. You can't work out at the gym. I mean, he's really. Maybe he should move. I mean, I guess because he wants to be around D.C. to do his. I don't know who he. What, who, his kinda, work? What kind of hell kind of politicians like will even let him anywhere near their offices? But right, so he's. He actually he is openly an advocate for white supremacy. Mm-hmm. Like that is something he may dispute the term neo-Nazi, but he is openly an advocate for white male hetero cis supremacy. Uh, and he is legitimately terrifying and uh, and just a hateful, horrible person. But. Does that give someone else the right to punch him in the face? No. <laughs> you have the right to punch anybody in the face unless it's self-defense. I mean... Right, but this is a... you don't. I mean, I don't care who he is or what he represents. You don't have the right to just walk up to him on the street and punch him in the face. But I see. So in the last, you know, whatever... You can yell at him or call him names or tell him he's a horrible human being and a Nazi and whatever, but you don't have the right to assault him. To so, so in the last 24 hours... Vigilanteism. In the last 24-ish hours since the Gianforte body slam came out, you know, I see a lot of people all over the Facebooks and the Twitters and naturally all over the media talking about, you know, what a horrible thing this is that that this congressional candidate body slammed a reporter for asking him a question he didn't like. But when Richard Spencer got punched in the face, I saw at least mixed feelings. Mm-hmm. And from a from, well, from kind many... of like couldn't have happened to a nicer guy, that kind of thing. Even though he was punched by an Antifa protester, well, not, I saw, not a. <laughs> I know. saw people writing op eds that were legitimately like, "Yeah, we should punch Nazis more often." Mm-hmm. Um, like there are a lot of people who are like, "No, it's totally okay to punch a Nazi because of what they think." Mm-hmm. Well, I, I don't agree with that. Right, but. So how... Well, like, it's basically you're equating speech with violence and using that as an excuse to commit violence against people, violence against people for, for, for what they're saying. So Gianforte will insist, I'm sure, 
that what he did was appropriate because the reporter was aggressive, was in his face, well, was asking him questions. If he thinks that guy was, that he had refused to answer. If he was, th- if he thought that guy was aggressive, he's he's really going to have a rude awakening when he gets to DC. <laughs> it's going to be a lot worse huh. than than one guy with a tape recorder. I mean, he's going to have to deal with throngs of uh, the Washington DC uh, media. Well, my point is, is, I mean, he it reminds me of that guy from Staten Island who threatened to throw the reporter off the balcony. Remember that guy? Yeah. <laughs> I just don't. I mean, if the media decides they've they've had it with you, it's 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 bad news. It's they if you if you go if you I mean the media will put up with politicians talking smack against him, even calling him the enemy of the people or whatever. But even you know even the the so called liberal media they they're more powerful than a lot of these guys realize when it comes to the the influence that they have. Well, to give to to, to give the the party and. The they do and negative they PR. They do and they don't. Trump played them like a fiddle. Mm-hmm. No, it depends on what happens. I mean, it's Trump is sort of his own, you know, is, is sort of an exception. Well, thing. But that's the just because stuff doesn't hurt Trump doesn't mean it's not going to hurt some Congress. Well, but that's that's the playbook moving forward for Republicans. Mm-hmm. The Republican playbook moving forward is going to be how exactly did Trump win? How can we replicate that result? In every election, on every level. Well, if we just look at the um, the presidential election results in Montana, Trump won running away by 20 points. Gianforte just won. I mean, he won decisively with seven points, but that's a 13-point swing in some place like Montana, which is not exactly known for being a, a blue state. Um, well, I'd say it's a toss-up on anything that isn't presidential. Because mm-hmm. it's still the home of John Tester and still the right. home of Steve Bullock. So I'd say it's a toss-up when it's not about the presidency. I mean, the same as, like, um, West Virginia uh, Well, this guy lost the governor's race pretty decisively right. to the current governor. Right, so it's a... So it's, it's, a, a, it's, a, it's, a, it's, a, it's a... You can compare it. It's two statewide, ra- statewide races for, you know... Right, I'd say it's similar to West Virginia, where uh, the state went overwhelmingly, like, 75%, again, for Trump, but they also elected... One of my new favorite entertaining politicians, uh, billionaire Jim Justice, mm-hmm. the only billionaire in West Virginia. <laughs> uh, they elected Jim Justice, Democrat, to be their new governor, uh, continuing what is more or less a, a century of one party rule in West Virginia. Like, more than that, century and a half. Uh, West Virginia has been ruled almost well, uninterrupted by the Democratic Party since the end of Reconstruction. Well, there's a difference in West Virginia and voting for a local Democrat versus voting for one for, for president. Right, but that's the thing. Montana's the same. I mean, if Joe Manchin were running for president, it might be a different story. But <laughs> but this is... Well, and if Jim Justice runs for president... Um, but that's the thing. Is like I think Montana is the same, which is why, side note, I think the Democrats really need to be looking at people from places like Montana for their next bench of potential leaders. Uh, the problem, will these people connect with the, with the Democratic base? That is the question. And I think, I mean, that's what Rob Quist was hopefully, in quotes, going to represent. Mm-hmm. If Rob Quist could get elected as, a, as like a pop hero... He's the the Demo- um, he's the the Democratic uh, uh, candidate yeah. in this Montana at large special election. If he had won as a bluegrass and country singer songwriter, 
and a and a vehement Bernie Sanders Democrat. If he had won Montana's congressional seat, uh, it would have jolted him into the top tier of the party, but he didn't. Uh, and the DNC did did end up backing him in a very serious way, uh, almost despite themselves. We'll see what happens with John Ossoff. Yeah, is that happening today also? I don't know. I honestly don't know when that's happening. Interesting. I think it. Ha- I th- I think not. I think it's coming up, but I don't know. I don't live in Georgia. Yeah. Last thing I heard is that was supposedly in a dead heat. Yeah. Um. I mean, both. I guess they're. I guess early voting has started there, but uh, I think I think the the Democrats are a little more bullish on their chances there. I think it's safe to say that all parties, Democrats, Republicans, Libertarians, etc., are in a are in a period of, of restructuring right now where they're all still decompressing from the election and trying to figure out what they're going to do moving forward, who they're going to try to appeal to and how. And these special elections, as they come up, are all test beds. <laughs> and it's sad for the Bernie Sanders crowd that Quist lost because Quist has now lost, so Gianforte won despite assaulting a person. Um, if Ossoff, who is like a moderate technocrat Democrat, much more of the Hillary bend, if he wins, if he succeeds in winning, that will send the message that like upper middle class suburbanites are the future of the Democratic Party and not working class people. Well, yeah, I mean, this is a very different, you know, district. This is a Gingrich's old district in the Atlanta suburbs. Right, kind of another kind of purplish place, but still has a history of electing some very conservative representative. Yeah, well, I mean, <laughs> and what I'm saying is that the message here, the, the DNC is going to look at Rod Quist and Gianforte and they're going to say, okay, you know, a, a, what is nationally a ruby red district, but what is practically a toss up mm-hmm. where it's populist versus populist, that we lose. But here where it's a moderate technocrat running against a populist Republican, that's where we win. Well, then that'll send the message that, like, all right, suburban, upper-middle-class districts, those are the ones that we can flip. The ones yeah. like Montana well, are the ones we're going to not the, invest money in. I mean, I think it's pretty obvious if you look at these two districts in the presidential election. One went for Trump by 20. That's Montana. Whereas that Georgia district, Trump won by like a little over a point. So, you know, if that that's why everyone is so interested in this one because it is a bellwether type of county. so Or, or, not, or district, I should say. Well, we'll, and we'll have to see. But back to the Richard Spencer thing. So we'll, I th- we'll I see if Karen Handel ends up kicking any reporter's ass in the next few weeks before the election. So I think both of us share the general opinion that was once expressed by Ruth Bader Ginsburg, folk hero of the internet, mm-hmm. um, that your right, RBG. Yeah. <laughs> your right to swing your fist ends where it makes contact with my nose. Mm-hmm. Like, we are in agreement about that, but where do we go with the gym membership thing? So do you want to... Well, I mean, just in general, I mean, when it comes to, I mean, I mean, like the whole, <laughs> it, it, it's to me, it, 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 it recalls uh, the whole situation with Gary Johnson. Okay, and the cake. So for those who don't know what this is about, 
Well, during the uh, John Stossel held a uh, a presidential debate amongst the uh, libertarian candidates uh, last year during the election, and there was at one point where they they brought up this idea of a hypothetical baker if they would if they should be required uh, to bake a cake was it for a Nazi wedding or something or Jewish bakers yeah should a Jewish baker have to bake a Nazi wedding cake and and Gary Johnson very sort of clumsily answered that well yes it would be by contention that they wouldn't have to do that because you can't discriminate against people right I don't and it would, I mean besides bringing up the image of like what the hell does a Nazi wedding cake look like other than it's clearly going to be swastika shaped well, and here we have. I, I think, and and I think Nick Sarwark, the the chairman of the Libertarian Party, has has put it a lot much more more eloquently. And there's a difference between selling the cake and baking the cake. You know, <laughs> someone should have the right. You know, someone who's a Nazi who's having a, a Nazi birthday should have the right to go into Costco and buy a cake off the shelf, right? And Costco can't say, "Sorry, you can't buy cakes here because you're a Nazi," as opposed to creating the swastika cake. As a, as a work of art, that which the, the Jewish or any, you know, person who isn't, you know, down with the Nazis would probably not want to do that. Well, so I, this, is, is, you know, can should Richard Spencer be allowed to work out at a gym? Should a gym say, well, we have a no Richard Spencer's rule? Um, right. So the, the gist of this particular story, for those who don't know, is that Richard Spencer, the aforementioned neo-Nazi crazy pants who keeps getting punched in the face, uh has a membership to a D or had a membership to a DC gym and uh, a patron of the gym who happens to be herself an associate professor mm -hmm. at a local university. It was a GW or Georgetown. Or something. Was it? I, I forget exactly one of which one, but she's like a associate professor at a good school. She's clearly a, a very serious, she... incredibly politically involved uh, professor. Well, I mean, the thing that I guess that rubbed me the wrong way about her was suggesting that the gym was somehow complicit in some sort of act of violence just by allowing him to be present. Right. So she she approached Richard Spencer. She recognized him, asked him if he was Richard Spencer. Richard Spencer's response was, I'm not Richard None Spencer. None of your business, basically. Right. <laughs> it's like uh, his response was basically, leave me alone. Right. <laughs> like, leave me alone. I'm here to work out. Yeah. Um, she... Uh, caused a scene and staff came over and she successfully argued to the staff that by allowing Richard Spencer to be a member and work out there that he that the that the gym was facilitating uh an atmosphere of violence and of unease mm -hmm, yeah. for the ethnically diverse staff and she she argued that uh, the trainers and the employees who are, you know, many of them, or at least like at least one of them there in that moment was African-American, that they could successfully sue. Right. Uh, because the gym manager was allowing Richard Spencer to be there. Um, that. That's I, kind of that's kind. Of, I think I'm 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 no attorney, but I, it seems a little bit silly to me that right. you could that I'm you also, could like sue the grocery store if I walk in and see Richard Spencer shopping there, <laughs> claiming. Right. So that's that's dubious at least. But what happened next was that the gym manager, who she actually expected to kick her out, did kick out Richard Spencer and revoke his membership. Yeah, uh, and so Richard Spencer has now lost his gym membership over this. And my immediate gut response was, 
good for you, gym manager. Okay. Like, I... I would I would argue that gym membership is itself somewhere between baking the cake and selling the cake. Uh-huh. That that it's hard to know in a case like that uh what the right thing to do is, but my gut tells me that I'm... if a neo-Nazi walks in that a store owner or a store manager should be allowed to say go go away i don't think your the your membership in the club should in any way be conditional with your outside behavior unless it somehow affects your you know i i, I don't know can like it, it's it's one of those weird kind of things cuz i could imagine a lot of ways that you could that you could use that argument to to deny people uh you know, unjustfully. Well, this is the I mean, problem. Richard Spencer is one guy. But what if we apply that to whole categories of people? Saying, well, we don't want people who represent these ideas. What if we don't want libertarians or atheists or Jews or whatever just because, you know, certain people are offended by their views or, you know, or feel uncomfortable or threatened or... Like, I, it's like, can I sue the city because Richard Spencer is walking on the sidewalk and I feel that they're the, they should be protecting me with a police escort? I mean, you could... I mean, I think it's just kind of a a silly argument to say that just letting him be there is is somehow creating a hostile environment um, for the employees. And she's also speaking for. I mean, you'd think the employees themselves would speak up if they had a problem with this dude, but there's there's no indication that he caused any trouble whatsoever at the gym. Yeah, but here's, I totally get that. The thing that that catches me up is I think a really excellent example that Gary Johnson gave uh, during one of these Bake the Cake debates, which was, what happens if you are Muslim and you're driving through, let's say, Montana, and you arrive at the only gas station for 100 miles on an empty tank, and they refuse to serve you. They refuse to sell you gas because you're Muslim. Is that okay? I I really tend to fall more in line with the harder core libertarians on this, where I do think fundamentally that businesses should be allowed to serve or not serve whoever they choose with the condition that they be honest about it. Uh, that they put up signs. If they're going to ban a whole group of people, if they're going to ban the Jews, then put up a sign that says no Jews in the window. Let Twitter do the rest. And Yelp. And Google. Like, we live in a world now where even in sort of the darkest corners of America, people have internet. They can look that stuff up. At and the same time, I mean, don't you think in a civilized society that we should, people who don't like each other should still be allowed to coexist in a neutral space? Like it's a, not. Like a gas station or, I mean, but we, we not, see all these viral videos that go online of people getting into racist rants in the checkout line or whatever. Right, but it's and not I, about being allowed the, to coexist. There, there was a time when we used to sort of like just keep our damn mouths shut when we were in public, when we were shopping or pumping our gas or right. eating at McDonald's or working out at the gym or whatever. I mean, do we really need, I mean, I, to me, it's just the idea that polit, we need to, you know, bring politics into our mundane daily activities. And well, I would say, I mean, is there, I mean, it's it just, it's too much po politicizing everything. I would say ideally we 
we should live that way. Like, yeah, I would say that ideally everyone should be able to coexist wherever, but there's a difference between that and someone walking onto, like, if it's your business, someone walking into your, onto your property, into your space, and it being someone you, you know that you don't want. Like, I don't care if, if why, I don't care what your reason is. I don't care if it's because you know them and they're a drunken lout, or if it's because uh, you are an, like an unrepentant, racist, crazy person. If, if you don't want to do business with someone, I don't think you should be forced to do business with them. And I think that the the beauty of our modern society is that there are very few contexts in which uh, you would be turned away and would not have another option right now. Uh, you know, one of the things that happened because we had the we had a case about this in Washington State. We had this the florist case, right? Mm-hmm. Where. Uh, where a gay couple. Wanted. Well, in that case, this lady was asking uh, to to. You know, there was the uh, there was, was a gay couple who were getting married, and they wanted uh, this florist to create a flower arrangement for their wedding, and she refused to do it based on her Christian belief that you know that gay marriage is wrong, and she felt like you know creating the flower arrangement was making her too involved. She it's one thing to sell them flowers right, you know creating like creating the arrangement is itself a creative work of art right if they exactly whereas if they just if the guy came in to buy you know an off-the-shelf bouquet on valentine's day that was one thing uh, well right and allegedly she offered to sell them things that were there mm-hmm. she just wasn't going to make them she didn't want to go like personally that. decorate the banquet hall herself uh and in the end the washington state supreme court decided that this was a violation of washington's anti-discrimination laws um, consumer protection law specifically so the consumer of, protection act so all of the focus was on that was on is this legally allowed or is it not legally allowed meanwhile and this is in the tri-cities you know this is not a place where there's 18 of everything mm-hmm. but there were at least three florists who in the wake of the initial fiasco offered to do that wedding for free three who are just like we'll do it for free this is great publicity. Like, if people are fundamentally self-interested, they they will be inclined not to be dicks. Because if you're fundamentally, as a business, if you're fundamentally self-interested, if you want to make money, you're going to serve everyone. Well, sure. Uh, I mean, I I, I can see it both ways. Turn people away. On one hand, I think that if you if you hold yourself out uh, as being you know open to the public and taking all comers, then you shouldn't reject people. uh, You know, refuse to take their money just just based on who they are and what they think or what they believe or whatever. At the same time, if you know you you shouldn't also be forced to do something that's expressly against your religion. Which, like, if it's to participate in a religious ceremony that you personally, you know, find offensive or what, or abhorrent or whatever. Well, so I, I think those are two different. I, I think, I think it is a good case of, you know, I think a, a good way to 
you know, a, a bright line in a situation like that is the difference between baking the cake and, and decorating well, the cake. And on the, on the same, you know, the other side of that coin is the manager of this gym saying, you know what? We do have a diverse staff. We do have a diverse clientele. And whatever it is that you're doing in the gym, you your face is associated with a kind of white supremacy that is uncomfortable at the least for I'm, people here. I'm just therefore cur- we are going to use our discretion as a place right. that has membership to revoke your membership. Well, the gym mem- the gym decided to do this like a couple days later. I just I kind of wonder if they just decided this was the best thing to do from a PR standpoint, seeing as how just incredibly unpopular Richard Probably. Spencer is. It doesn't make it the wrong thing to do though. Uh, I don't know. I, it's 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 a little bit subjective, but I I kind of wonder if if the if it was really if it had anything to do with him or if they even cared about who he was or if it was just because this lady the the professor was making such a huge ruckus and they wanted to shut her up. I, and they thought it was easier to placate her than to take the side of Richard Spencer. That it, that would be the more... Which is you know, funny, because she anticipated that that they would think it would be easier to kick her out. Well, and initially they did thought. sort of tell her to get lost. But then a couple of days later, they, I guess corporate or whoever said, yeah, let's go with the non-Richard Spencer option. <laughs> and now Richard Spencer is possibly going to sue them and he may win. Right, he may win for the same reason the gay couple won in their case against the floor. Exactly, exactly. Because you can't make it a crime just to be Richard Spencer or say that, you know, we'll take any customers as long as they're not Richard Spencer. But I do... But should it be that, <laughs> but should it be that way? I don't know. I mean, I, I think that if a gym doesn't want a neo-Nazi to be a member of the gym... I think they should have the discretion to be like, you know what? No neo-Nazis. So do you allowed. think golf clubs should still be permitted to not, you know, accept Jews? Well, you know, the funny thing about that is <laughs> the funny thing about that is that wherever there are country clubs these days, there are also predominantly Jewish country clubs mm-hmm. that were founded as a response. And those Jewish country clubs are often the best, fanciest, biggest ones now. Right, right. Uh, because they were the ones who were willing to take not just Jews, but everyone who wasn't, you know, a white Christian male. Um, you know, like a, I, like Barack Obama, when he was applying for country club memberships, because of course he did, in the D.C. area, post-presidency, he was looking, I think, almost exclusively at the Jewish country clubs, probably because they serve better food. You think so? Or that's where most of his friends. I mean, know, that's or... what the that's what the big one in L.A. is known for. Hmm. You know what I'm talking about? Which the one? country club that Groucho Marx refused to join because he said he wouldn't want to be a member of a club that would have him as a member. Um, big Jewish country club in L.A. Is it the the one in uh, in West L.A. on Sunset? I forgot what it's called. Maybe I don't know. But it's renowned for its food. I, I know People joke that yeah, it's a yeah. dinner club more than it's a golf club. Right. Right. Um. But like that's the thing that the country club thing is a place where where the free market did inadvertently solve the problem, where uh, there was a market for it's, country it's clubs not that available the free to market, non-white it's people. It's not that the free market can't solve the problem. It's just that as a society, should we should it. do we do we want to have those kind of kind of rules? Do we do we agree that that's the the government has a role in protecting you know? 
people's rights to, to not well, be discriminated against. It's a question. It's a question of does the government because, have a role? Because it's a broad because it's a broad brush approach. It's going to be this. It's going to apply the same everywhere, whether there's lots of country clubs or just one. Well, like. You know, I don't. My my mom has a has a story about being a kid and going on vacation in Maine, and everywhere they tried to check into a hotel, they were turned away because her father refused to put down a fake last name. He put down Weiss, you know, Benjamin Weiss. Everywhere mm-hmm. they went, and and that was instantly recognizable as a Jewish name. So everywhere they went in Maine, they were turned away. Uh, and that's terrible. And I don't want anyone of any religion, race, creed, whatever. I don't want anyone to have to experience that. I didn't know Maine had such a big problem with Jews. It's a very white state. (laughs) Um, But I mean, to the... (laughs) I'm talking 60s. They didn't think you were were coming up there to rape all the white girls, did they? Who knows? Anyways. (laughs) Uh, uh, I had to throw some shade on Paula Page. (laughs) Anyway, obviously we don't want that, but it's a question of, would that even happen now? Or have we evolved as a society to a better place? I kind of feel like we have. Um, and so given that, you know, what do we do about the Richard Spencers? Well, I'm not sure what we should do about Richard Spencer or whether we really have evolved to a better place. I would like to hope so. But I do know that that is all the time we have for this week on the Precious Snowflake podcast. Until next time, I'm Lelius Rose. And I'm Ben Phillips. Good night. Good night. Was that a good rap?